Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Colson Painter, controller for Caliber Companies. Caliber is an integrated group of companies in the real estate and private equity industry. Formed in 2009 and headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona, with an investment focus in the greater Southwest growth markets, Caliber leads the market in providing individual accredited investors and registered investment advisors with well-structured alternatives to traditional investments. Colson began his career with Caliber more than three years ago as their director of tax, but was recently promoted to a position as vice president and corporate controller. He began his career with Deloitte, where he spent five and a half years working his way up from tax consultant to tax manager. Colson earned his master's in accountancy and a BS focused in accountancy with emphasis in tax from Brigham Young University. Colson has been happily married to his wife, Lisa, for four years. Together, they are raising four daughters. Hello, Colson, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to... uh join you on the podcast. Yeah, today we'll be talking about your background, your experience as a controller, and a bit about your organization and some of the unique challenges it's dealt with, as well as some of the solutions to those challenges you've implemented recently. I'm really looking forward to this discussion, so let's get started. That sounds good. First, start by telling me about your career progression, exactly how you got to where you are today. Good question. So it really goes back to when I started my studies in accounting, I was at Brigham Young University in Utah, and I took general accounting classes, I took some tax classes, took some audit and financial reporting classes, and I, uh, or financial accounting classes, I should say. Really enjoyed all of it, and um, a lot of uh, interesting stuff, and I, I had a decision to make of what direction I wanted to take my career. I ultimately decided, wanted to focus on tax, and I, I became a a tax professional, did a master's degree in tax, and uh, that led to a, a career in tax in Phoenix with Deloitte. was there for, for five years and left Deloitte to uh, join my current organization, Caliber, as a director of tax. And um, all throughout all, all of uh, that career progression, I had in the back of my mind, you know, I, I really think it would be cool to be a controller. It would really be cool to be on, you know, in a, in a financial decision-making position for a business or organization. And ultimately, I, I'd express those, that interest to our current CFO at my company. And, you know, three years, three years into the job here, a, an opportunity opened up for the controller position. And it really wasn't something that I was aware of or specifically planning on. I just, you know, had that in the back of my mind that that's something I wanted to do. And the opportunity presented itself and I uh, jumped on it. I, I decided to, you know, take a dive in career change um, within the company. And five months later, here we are. So it, it's it's been uh, exciting and, and um, challenging, but, you know, I, grateful for all the different experiences and opportunities that I've had uh, that have led me to here. Yeah, well, congratulations on uh, your latest role. Thank you. So are there any particular stories or moves that stand out as turning points throughout your career? Yeah, a, a couple. Um, as I think about this, one 
in particular was while I was at Deloitte, I had the opportunity to do a rotation kind of as a, an in-house loan staff, as it's called, for a large private equity company. And basically spent a tax season there, reviewing tax returns, and was kind of immersed into this uh, private equity world. And it was very different from, from what I was used to. But it kind of, um, it was good to see how, how things worked on the other side. And having been in an accounting firm environment and having, you know, worked on tax returns for, for clients, mostly for um, medium-sized private businesses and, and their individual owners, that was kind of uh, eye-opening and, and seeing, wow, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot more out there. Um, and it is complex and interesting and, and fast paced. And then, so um, I learned a lot and that was a really great experience. Lasted about three months and went back and continued my career there, kind of back on the normal path. Ultimately, I I considered uh, leaving Deloitte for for that specific company and decided not to. But but uh, that was something that I think prepared me down the road for where I am today. the The other one was when I reached the the turning point of deciding whether or not I wanted to continue in public accounting or or branch off into industry. And that was a tough choice. I really did enjoy my time at Deloitte. I enjoyed the the challenges and the learning experiences and, you know, all the support and everything that that entailed. And Deloitte is a great organization, but <laughs> I was at, at a turning point, you know, personally in my life at a turning point where we just had our third child and I was busier than ever. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, I needed to do something a little different. And I also saw, I was at a point where, as I said, I was focused on private clients and individual tax and, and some things like that, gift tax, estate tax, things that were very specialized in the tax world. And honestly, there's not a lot of uh, jobs outside of working at an accounting firm that if you focus on gift and estate and trust tax work, and, and I decided if, if I didn't want to do that, I needed to find a different career path. And I um, found Caliber through a LinkedIn job posting, and it was an opportunity to become a tax director. It was a new position for a um, new, quickly growing company, and I interviewed with them, and it just felt right, and I jumped on it, and um, like I said, spent three years in that position as tax director and just recently transitioned five months ago to controller. So those those are the two really big um, pivotal pivotal points in my career, you know, and I really think that, um, you know, among many others, things uh, have worked out well as, as I, you know, took those opportunities as they presented themselves. Yeah, I started my career at Deloitte too, and wonderful place to work, but not a very easy lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> So your background is unique for a controller, having specialized in tax at the start of your career. How do you think that that background has benefited you as a controller and what challenges does it present? Yeah, good question. So as far as the benefits of um, being from a tax background, I think, you know, and it goes back to some of the things I said with one, having, you know, several different clients and, and 
small, mid-sized, you know, a handful of large companies, you you have to juggle a lot of different things going on. You have to understand how different businesses work and all the moving parts there. And really you have to be able to pivot from one thing to another and back and forth. And having done that, that, that really, you know, work work for on clients that had, you know, multiple businesses and, you know, lots of inner company transactions and things like that. Keeping everything straight, that was just kind of the background. And so in a way, when I transitioned to Calibre, I viewed it as just having one client. And my job was just to learn everything I could about each individual business, each individual transaction, each, you know, all all the going-ons at at, um, everything that was going on at all of those different businesses and the, the different firms and and properties that were invested in. And that was, you know, it actually was natural. And so as, as I transitioned, you know, I really got to know every single aspect of every single business from a tax standpoint and had a good overall understanding of, of all of that, uh, as opposed to being specialized in, you know, a specific part of the business, you know, whether the corporate side of caliber or the hospitality side or, or different um, real estate you know, specific businesses that we have, I had a good broad over all understanding and that really, you know, lent itself to um, transitioning to the controller role. In addition to that, I had lots of interactions with investors, lots of interactions with different departments within the company. And so I think that lent itself well to transitioning from tax to leading the accounting team as the controller. Biggest challenges, I think, uh, probably are obvious, but some of the obvious tax technical background that I have doesn't necessarily lend itself to the gap in financial accounting rules that um, that we need to follow on the accounting side. And so it's been, you know, while I, I have a good background just from my college courses and, and being a CPA and all that comes with that and understanding financial accounting, not having applied it for many years as an auditor or as a accountant for the company, managing books and so on and so forth. I've, I've had to learn and pivot there. And I, I really think um, a lot of, fortunately, I've, it's a good position where I have resources within the company, people who have that experience that were experienced auditors, et cetera to support me. Our CFO is a great resource. We have a director of financial reporting and technical accounting who is really helpful. So while I am still learning and developing and growing, and I think it'll be many years before I really feel comfortable in a lot of things, you know, in in the midst of our first, um, my my first uh, round of audits as controller. And so I'm, I'm just beginning to learn a lot. And so that's challenging. I'm sure an audit is trial by fire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it always helps to have a great team surrounding you. Yes, absolutely. So as a relatively new controller, what advice would you give someone who's going into the role for the first time? Good question. I think that, you know, just coming at it with an open mind, a desire to learn, a desire to admit mistakes. You know, I, I... I make mistakes and 
you know, especially like I said, I, not having all the background, not knowing what to do, admitting you know, not only mistakes, but, you know, recognizing, you know, there are certain things you don't know. I don't know all the things I don't know even, but just being willing to learn from those mistakes, learn from others, being teachable and you know, trying to, to learn as much as possible. I think all of that is quite helpful. It's hard, but um, I think sometimes you have to break it down, take things one day at a time, one week at a time, realize that it's going to get easier and you're going to learn each day, each week. And honestly, yeah, it's, it's not nearly as stressful as it was, you know, my first, uh, first week flying solo, although <laughs> surprises always pop up and, and things happen that, um, you don't see coming. So it's a lot to learn. Yeah, that's great advice. And yeah, I mean, new roles are always hard, but they do get easier. So let's pivot a bit and talk about Caliber. Can you tell us a little bit about what they do? Sure. So Caliber is a real estate private equity fund asset manager. We are not industry specific. So we are a fund manager. We partner with accredited investors. So that's investors who have a net worth of at least $1 million in investable wealth or uh, an income ranging from two hundred dollars to $300,000 um, per year. So it's typically sophisticated investors for the most part, although those, those rules are uh, changing and kind of opening up to, to more people who are experts in, in certain fields. Um, but we partner with those individual investors and for the most part, they they supply capital and we supply some capital and our expertise into acquiring real estate assets, uh, whether it be a hotel, an apartment complex, some kind of commercial property, um, it, really any, any type of real estate where we see an opportunity and we invest in that, in that those real estate assets and then work with our internal team with our um, various real estate experts, as well as with different third party experts and managers to optimize those properties. And ultimately when the properties have been optimized and are, are operating at a high occupancy rate or, or at an optimal level, we will turn around and sell those businesses to an interested buyer and that's kind of our business model. We have a, a pretty heavy portfolio of hotels. We, we also own some multifamily apartment complexes, other residential investments, including a fund that's focused on single family. We have um, commercial funds and you know, invested in office, invested in self-storage. We have a fund that is uh, debt specific that lends to other real estate investments on a short to medium term basis. And we have a, a fund that's specialized in, in opportunity zones as well. And it's invest specific. It's a qualified opportunity fund that invests specifically in certain opportunity zones throughout the Southwest. I, I should mention that we are based in Scottsdale, Arizona and our uh, specific regional focus is on the Southwest. So that that's, uh, Texas, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, primarily. So we 
for the most part right now we're in Arizona, but looking to expand. We have a development up in Colorado that outside of Denver that is um, master planned development, commercial, residential, et cetera. And, and that one is really, um, you know, really hot right now with all, all that's happened, you know, re- recently in Denver, not to mention with the influx of people, I think outside of certain areas and, and um, looking for, you know, a little more space. And so that, that's been, been um, exciting for us to, to have some growth in, in the Colorado market outside of uh, our base here in Arizona. Sounds like a very interesting business and, uh, and an interesting place to work. It is, yeah. So the last 12 months have been challenging for everybody, but what have been Caliber's biggest challenges? You know, I, I think the one that is probably not unique to us, but you know, something that everybody dealt with was just quickly transitioning to a fully remote work environment. I have to hand it to our you know team. We made a quick decision. I remember it was March 16th was the date when the last day when everybody was in the office, and that's when the decision was made. We're going to go remote. Um, fortunately, we had a lot of things in place. You know, a lot of tools in in IT things in place that allowed us to do that kind of seamlessly. I mean, it wasn't seamlessly, but, but as, as seamlessly as could be expected for a company that prior to COVID was, you know, I'd say pretty much everybody was in the office almost every day, you know, working normal office hours. There wasn't a lot of, while while there was some flexibility, there wasn't a lot of, you know, weren't a lot of people who worked mostly at home. There were a few people who worked out of state, but uh, we really had to, to transition and, and, um, you know, using things like Office 365 and Microsoft Teams and, and tools like that, things that we'd never used before. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I said March 16th was the day, last day in the office, March 17th, all of a sudden I'm having video calls with people. And that was kind of weird at first, but it quickly became the, the everyday of, you know, having meetings on Teams and weekly uh, company calls just to kind of keep everybody on the same page and let everybody know what's going on so we didn't feel isolated. Fortunately, we have opened the office back up and although it's still, most people are still in a remote work environment, it allows uh, this flexibility to allow people to come into the office and with safe precautions and and we've been able to do that. And so I I personally spend about three days a week in the office, two days working from home and that's a good uh, mix for me. And, And I think you know, that's something that post COVID we will, um, you know, continue to have some flexibility. So, I mean, that's one thing industry specific, you know, as I mentioned, we're in real estate, we don't have a lot of investments in office buildings, although we do have one in particular, and that that is a challenging market right now to, to try leasing office space. Although, you know, some, some areas are better than others and, and, a lot of people are moving to Phoenix, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. The hospitality space, as I mentioned, that has been challenging. We own several hotels, and that is, you know, the hardest hardest part right now. Being in Arizona this time of year, from about January through April, is our busy time. So last year, it didn't. We we had a normal January, February, and first part of March, where all of a sudden things changed, and so. The market is very challenging and difficult there, and we, we've had to, you know, get creative and, you know, things like the Paycheck Protection Program, 
loans and, and things of that nature have, have been vital in helping our hotels continue to operate. And unfortunately, we've been able to do that. And we transitioned to a, a national brand, Highgate, as our hotel manager, right? Just coincidentally, right before all the COVID stuff happened. So I think that has been um, instrumental as well in, in uh, facing that challenge, but it, that's been hard. And then the other aspect that I think was has been a challenge that we've been um, able to overcome was just as a private equity firm, you know, we, one of the, our, our lifeblood is raising capital, raising money from investors. And with the uncertainty that COVID presented in March and around that time of 2020, you know, people didn't want to invest. They wanted to hold on to their money and see how things were going to play out. So there was a, a several months where we just had to, you know, reassure the current investors and just wait for investors to become more comfortable. Unfortunately, between the certainty that several months of COVID has provided with understanding better, you know, how it transmits, you know, understand what precautions you can take, et cetera. The vaccine, I think, is is crucial in uh, reassuring investors that um, this isn't going to go on forever and we, we can return to normal. The certainty from the presidential election also has allowed investors to um, become more, more confident in investing again. And we, you know, from November through now, we've seen, you know, quite a big uptick in investment into um, our funds as well as into our company specifically. So it's been been kind of a crazy last year, but uh, those are some challenges that we were facing. Some some we've overcome, some we're still dealing with and, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm hopeful that the hospitality industry will be turning around soon because I definitely miss traveling. Yeah, and, and I will say that while the hotels are still, you know, I think it's pretty slow during the week, you know, business travel is, is still pretty minimal. I, I think we have seen an uptick in, in just the pent up demand. I think of people probably wanting to get out of town and Arizona is a good place right now from all the, all the people, uh, you know, all cold places throughout the country. And so I, our weekend um, business is picked up quite a bit from what I'm told. So that, that is one bright spot for sure. Definitely. Okay, so let's talk specifically about qualified opportunity zone funds, which is something that you deal with. What exactly is this? Yeah, so the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 was um, you know, President Trump's tax plan that was passed into legislation at the end of 2017. And within it, it included some provisions for opportunity zones. Opportunity zones are a bipartisan idea, you know, both Democrats and Republicans in the House and the Senate were in support of it because it allows certain benefits to investors for investing in specific areas that are, for the most part, lower income areas. They, they have to be below a certain poverty level and it's measured on a census track basis. So, so the law was passed in 2017, I, you know, at the time was you know, specialized in tax, so I was keenly aware of of the law and the provisions. Although this, for a couple of months, I think was not the focus of almost anybody. And then we started hearing about it, and we realized 
this is something that Caliber already does. We go in in certain areas where it might be a, a an up and coming area or a, a lower income area where there is an opportunity to turn things around with a an apartment complex or um, another investment, a hotel or, or what have you. And so it really meshed well with what Caliber already does and had been doing for, you know, 10 years at the time. And so we started our fund under the rules. And the biggest thing is that investing in a qualified opportunity fund for investors allows them to defer capital gains until at least 2026. So, so it started in 2018, you could defer your capital gains until the end of 2026. So that was, um, you know, almost nine years at the time. And basically, investors can defer their capital gains. They get a, a partial step up in basis, which is essentially equates to a, a discount on the amount of capital gains they'll have to pay, tax they'll have to pay at 2026. And then the biggest, I think the biggest thing is that the appreciation of the investment within a 10-year period, if it's held for 10 years, is going to be tax-free. So there's that tax-free growth. Uh, something that really you know incentivizes investors not only that but it is an opportunity to invest in areas that really need investment and so it um it, it aligns you know the needs of communities and cities uh throughout the country with these opportunity zones that have been identified and investors who have capital that may be sitting on the sidelines to recognize some gains and invest those gains into opportunity zones and really, you know, start to turn those areas around. So it's something that that's exciting uh, that's happening, and we're really excited to be part of it. Our fund is called the Caliber Tax Advantage Opportunity Zone Fund LP. It started in 2018, like I said. It's been around for about two and a half years now, and to date, we've raised 75 million dollars and um, been deploying it in several different projects within within the opportunity zones. We have a hotel in Tucson that is connected to the convention center in Tucson, Arizona, I should say. Uh, we have some building, historic buildings in downtown Mesa that we're looking to renovate and, and help revitalize the downtown area in Mesa, Arizona. Some residential developments in Tempe, Arizona, and AB. one very interesting um, project that we just finished and that is fully operational now was we took a, a building that I believe had been a nursing home or some other senior living facility. It was kind of run down in, in Phoenix, central Phoenix, and we turned that into a behavioral health hospital. And that's been operating. So, I mean, that's something that not only, you know, provides jobs for the community, but also is providing services. And you know, behavioral health is a huge um, focus area now more than ever. And, and you know, that expanding capabilities and opportunities there is i think really important and that's something that we have been able to partner with with uh you know a medical group and and bring to pass so something we're excited about yeah those sound like a win for investors and a win for communities exactly and that, that's the idea and it really um just trying to make make sure that those two things are aligned it can be tricky but it really does actually, you know, if you have good projects that aren't just, that are projects that really fit the spirit of, of the law and aren't just, you know, trying to squeeze something else in, into that, it really does in, 
incentivize investors and you know investors looking for that ESG, you know, the economic, social, government aspect of investing. Um, you know, having having good impact governance, I should say, uh, having good impact in those areas is is important. So we focused on that. We are teaming with somebody to measure that impact on the community. We expect that, uh, and, and it's been in talks for a long time that there will be some legislation that requires these businesses to kind of be transparent about what the impact is. And proactively, we've decided to measure that and report on that to our investors and and other you know potential investors, so that they can see this is you know these are the jobs created, this is the impact that it's having um, from a dollar standpoint. So what unique challenges do qualified opportunity zone funds present when structuring real estate investments from an accounting standpoint? You know, I think the, I say this coming from a tax background, but, you know, tax usually isn't, isn't uh, the tail wagging the dog, so to speak, but in, in some, uh, in some regards with opportunity zones, you know, a lot of tax rules and regulations and things like that are, um, come into play here. You know, it's not it's not as simple as just setting up a fund and saying, oh yeah, we're operating in in this area and it's an opportunity zone, so we're good. You have to meet a lot of different requirements. So there's a lot of measurement, a lot of tracking, and talking to legal counsel, a lot of talking to our tax advisors and making sure that things are structured, especially with the rules being new and you know the law was passed just over three years ago. It took about another two years for the regulations associated with the law to be finalized. And that was something that, you know, left people uncertain with, with how to treat things. So, so we had to be flexible and, and learn as we went, but um, having the infrastructure that we already had, you know, I, I was already in place as a full-time tax director that made it, made it unique for Caliber as opposed to other people who set up opportunity funds and then realize they don't know what they're doing and sometimes they have to wind them down or, or things like that. So it, it is complicated and it's not just something that anybody can do, but you have to have, um, you know, a very tax specific focus on, on the fund that you may not have. The location is important, obviously, but also the type of business, there's certain restrictions on things that businesses can, can't do, you know, certain things like that, that we have to, keep in mind and, and we're constantly learning things and having to change the way we do things a little bit. And, and there's a specific focus for those businesses versus any of our other general funds. And so we do our best to, to operate within the, um, within the rules and, and we do a good, pretty good job of, of doing that with the advisors we have, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of focus and a lot of, you know, monthly analysis to make sure we're still on track and still, still within those those rules. So having, uh, you know, a, a dedicated director of tax now that I, that's no longer me, we still have a really good person there in that chair to make sure things are in line and in track and, and um, you know, kind of alert us to areas that we need to be focused on from a investing and decision-making standpoint. And Caliber recently undertook a registration A-plus offering. This is this is foreign to me. So can you explain what this is and, and how Caliber decided it was the right thing for them? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mentioned, yeah, so we did a regulation A-plus offering. And in fact, I should say that it closed on 
Friday. So the 26th of February was the close of that. It was successful. We were. Ah, congratulations. Yeah, we we it was open for. I think it opened since April of last year. It's so open for about eight or nine months, and and we really had a huge um, kind of final push there. I think we raised between seven and eight million dollars in the last month of the capital raise, which was pretty exciting to us. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, we regulation A plus. It allows small to medium sized businesses. I think in looking to raise in the range of. 50 to 75 million dollars maximum. I, I think that it used to be 50, and now it's 75 million is the maximum amount of capital you can raise in in this type of offering. Through you know a, a public offering, it requires you know filings with the SEC and things of that nature. But it's kind of light compared to the typical public company filings in the sense that you don't have to do quarterly filings with the SEC. You file an annual filing and do by April 30th for you know us as a, a calendar year in company. So you have a little bit more time to get that filing in than a larger public company. And then we do a 6.30 and June 30th uh, year in filing as well under that. And it really just was a way for us to you know open up the investor pool to a lot of people that know us and have been following us and have been connected with us, whether they are, you know, vendors or contractors or people like that, that, uh, you know, have done construction on caliber jobs and, and things of that nature. And they just haven't fit into that. What I mentioned earlier, the accredited investor box of million dollars net worth or two to $300,000 a year in annual income, but they still might be sophisticated investors. They might be real estate professionals or, or things like that and recognize um, Caliber's you know, strategy and want to invest in it and, and do so. And so we basically, it, like investing you know, in any public company, anybody can do that. And so it really opened it up to a wider range of investors. And there was a $2,000 minimum and you know, a certain maximum that people couldn't invest beyond a certain amount of their net worth. And that was about it, but it really opened things up and, and really set us up. I mean, we've been pretty public and it's no, no secret that you know, the eventual plan is for us to become a fully public company at some point in the future publicly traded on New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or, or something like that. So that, that's not nothing new and nothing that hasn't been said in, you know, the many, uh, the many webinars and things like that that we've had over that our CEO and, and others have had over the last month, especially as we've kind of made the final push for the capital raise. But something that was in the works for a long time, it was in the works when I started at Caliber over three years ago. And it, you know, takes a lot of getting the books and and financial records in a position. And we had to catch up on audits and things like that and, and get all our audits done and, and you know, file with the SEC and respond to comments. And you know, that took a lot of time and effort and investment, but we just viewed it as you know, the next step to you know, create wealth for the private um, individuals who had already invested in our company, as well as for the employees of Caliber and you know, others who, who were interested in investing in Caliber. And so that was just kind of the logical next step in, in the plan that our um, company founders had. Uh, thanks for correcting me. Regulation A, not registration A. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> um, and yeah, also with all of the socially impactful things that Caliber is doing, I'm sure people want to invest in things like that. Yeah. So what's the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months and why? 
I think, you know, being in a leadership role and, and I will say having transitioned from being on the tax side of the business where it was at first just me and then me and one other person to moving on to the accounting side where it's a larger team and dealing with a lot more people within and without the organization. You know, people, people surprise you, whether it's good or bad. Um, you have to be able to deal with surprises, be able to deal with unexpected news, whether it's somebody, you know, accepting the job offer and then, you know, the week before backing out and then, all right, now we have to go back to the drawing board or, you know, a contractor not, you know, showing up to, to get a job done, that, you know, a, a product done that was time sensitive and something that you planned on doing, things of that nature that, you know, we have to deal with and, it's tricky sometimes, but you have to be flexible. You have to be, have a good attitude. And a lot of times I realize, you know, when I, I receive that bad news, whatever it is, you know, not to respond right that minute, but, you know, take a breath and let it process and, you know, maybe come back to it in half an hour or an hour. And when I mean, that's not always possible, but to the extent that it is, you know, something that, I don't know, a bad news in an email or, you know, a problem that I have to, you know, kind of help solve becomes my problem. I think it really is just being patient and trying to find a way to address those surprises. But, you know, people are unpredictable. And I mean, it happens in good ways too. You know, you, you hire somebody and they do a much better job than you expect. And I've had that as well. So, I mean, it's not, not all bad, but one way or the other, you know, you don't know what people are going to do and you just have to kind of roll with it. And I mean, I don't know. I, I think that that's advice that's probably uh, applicable to anybody. And, you know, whether it's you, Megan, or, or anybody else in, in whatever position you deal with people. And, and I think you just have to, to learn to be patient with them. And, you know, at the end of the day, recognize that they have, there's a lot going on beneath the surface. And ultimately, we, we can deal with it. Yeah, that's so true, especially these days. You don't know what people are struggling with. And yeah, the only the only actions you can control are your own. True, very true. So despite the light at the end of the tunnel, 2021 is still off to a somewhat rocky start. So how do you inspire your team and keep them motivated through tough times? I think, you know, I it kind of goes back to what I was answering on the insane on the last question, but I, I think, you know, I, I do my best to try and relate to them. I will say, you know, it, I'm not naturally a, an extroverted person. I mean, uh, that might not be unique to, to me uh, as an accountant or to many of the, you know, listeners of your podcast as, as you know, accounting finance professionals, but m many of us might not be um, extroverted by nature, but I, I try to relate to them, try to, you know, stay positive, try to keep things light uh, within reason and joke a little bit, even, even in, um, facing, you know, those road bumps and problems that, that come up, I think, um, you know, just finding ways to work together to find a solution, talking through things, um, checking in with them, making sure that, you know, everything's okay on a personal level. A lot of times it's just listening, you know, just letting them say what they have to say. And sometimes that's therapeutic in and of itself. And so I, I, I try to not jump to conclusions. I've, I've learned that um, sometimes the best thing is to listen before, you know, trying to provide advice. But just all those things hopefully help 
I don't know. <laughs> we, and, I, guess, I guess we'll see, but um, I think that is, you know, a key there. Yeah, I think most people just want to be heard. So listening is always an important skill. Um, and we touched on this a bit, but, uh, well, we touched on this a bit in that, you know, the teams that you surround yourself are very important. So what are the traits that you look for when you're hiring a new employee? Among other things, I think somebody who's dependable, somebody who's, you know, you can really count on when a problem comes up that they can, you know, take care of it or at least, you know, try and do their best that, you know, they, they have accountability to you and they keep you accountable as well. I, I think that's huge. Loyalty, you know, loyalty to the team, to the organization, being transparent, being respectful. I mean, that, that's important. I like to look for people who are problem solvers. And, you know, as I've had the chance to, you know, review a lot of resumes and interview a lot of people and in the last several months, um, I mean, I think that that's important, you know, talking to people and recognizing, yeah, they're problem solvers. They are, you know, aspiring to advance in their career and, and aspiring to, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that they're given and, and to learn and grow, you know, people who are intelligent, but also hardworking. I mean, it's a lot of different things. It's hard to, hard to say. And I don't know, I mean, I guess time will tell if how that works out as, as I'm still relatively new in the process, but I think those are all, all key important things. I always like to ask this question, but are there any tools or technologies that you've implemented at Caliber recently that are helping the organization to become more efficient? Yeah, we have. Uh, right before I transitioned into the controller role, we switched our ERP system from QuickBooks to Sage Intact, and that has been hugely impactful. I, QuickBooks was, I, I think, something that we had just started and with as we were a, a small business, and you know, quickly, you know, we have had exponential growth over the last several years, and it became apparent a few years ago that QuickBooks, you know, no longer met our needs when we had, you know, 30 sets of books and things like that. And, and then fortunately, you know, this was another fortuitous thing that was already in the works pre-COVID, but we had already engaged to switch to Sage Intact, which is a much more robust software that, that is for bigger businesses and lots of different companies and allows for intercompany transactions and cloud-based among other things. And so we you know, QuickBooks did a great job for us, but it was hard and challenging to work with QuickBooks at the end there, especially as we were, you know, had to remote in or VPN, use the VPN to to log in from at home and it made QuickBooks even, you know, extra uh, uh, slow for the team. And so that was a, a challenge and it was a nice to switch to something that was cloud-based and, you know, a lot more flexible and you could just access from a, a web browser and with a login and, and do things like journal entries that, you know, you, you can do the journal trees for two sets of books all at once is, you know, if it's an intercompany transaction, as opposed to having to go into one set of books and do a transaction and then another set of books, we had just outgrown QuickBooks. And, and that was something that, you know, our, our uh, CEO and CFO joke that it's like, we got the, the uh, keys to a, a new sports car and we really don't know, uh, you know, how to, how to drive it yet, but we're, we're learning. <laughs> so, yeah, it's hard to know when you've outgrown your accounting system, but uh, yeah, it's important to make the switch when it becomes painful to use the old, ver like the original 
system. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's nice to be cloud-based for sure. It's much more flexible, especially in this remote work environment. And lastly, on a more personal note, what is something that you'd like to accomplish either professionally or personally, or, or maybe both in 2021? Yeah. <laughs> professionally, I, you know, within my role here at Calibra, it's just continuing to, to grow and strengthen the team, you know, looking to build a, a team culture, you know, as, as difficult as it is to do in a remote work environment, you know, we've had some new people start and, you know, they're in the office a bit and there's not that many other people in the office. So trying to, you know, strengthen those bonds and find ways to keep the team, team connected, united and, and, um, working together in the remote environment is one big focus. I mentioned Sage learning to leverage that system for better real-time reporting and decision-making, reporting across different departments within the organization. I mean, all of that is um, something I, I think professionally, just, you know, expanding my capabilities and leading the team. And, and, you know, I've got a lot of learning to do on the technical side as well in, in the midst of everything else and learning how to use Sage myself. Um, so that's, a lot. Uh, on the personal side, um, we've got some home renovation projects going. I, I think that's probably not unique to us, but you spend more time at home and all of a sudden all these projects pop up. And so I've been moving some dirt in my backyard and, you know, putting some uh, artificial grass in and, and things like that, that, that are kind of fun projects that, that'll uh, keep me busy on the weekends. But when things open back up, I, I run a half marathon every year. Mesa half marathon and and uh, it would have happened a couple weeks ago. It was postponed for COVID for obvious reasons, but hope, hoping to see that open up maybe here um, shortly and, and get a race. And I need I need to you know get back to training a little bit more. So something something fun on the personal side. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm always so impressed by people that can run that sort of <laughs> distance. Well, I don't do it. I don't do it that fast, but I, I uh, this will be my ninth time if, when it happens. So doing that same race. So it's just kind of a fun thing to keep me motivated. And I, really, I think just a goal, exercise goal to have every year. I've run it with my wife, with my couple of my sisters, you know, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, a lot of different people and some friends, coworkers too, who've run it over the years. So it's been kind of fun just to have, have that and yeah, if anybody wants to run it with me that, that's listening to this, I'm happy to have you, have you joined when, when that opens back up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, uh, to races and 10Ks and 5Ks being a thing again. Yeah, absolutely. Colson, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you, Megan. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I've enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experience. Thank you so much for sharing a bit about what you've learned with us. Uh, I wish you and Caliber the best this year and in the future. To all of our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. Please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.